You are Locked On SEC, your daily podcast on the Southeastern Conference. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up, everybody? Welcome into Locked On SEC. Great to have you guys along on today's show, recapping the early National Signing Day. How did all the schools in the SEC do? Well, we'll give you a quick rundown on each of the 14 SEC teams and some of the big names that they signed. Also, we'll continue to get you ready for the SEC Championship game in Atlanta. Yesterday, we got the Alabama perspective. Today, we get the Florida perspective with Locked On Gators host Zach Goodall. He'll tell us why the Gators might have a chance against the Tide. And lastly, we'll catch up with Lynn Scarborough of LindySports.com. He'll tell us what needs to happen for Texas A&M to somehow find their way into the playoff with Alabama. I am Chris Gordy. Be sure to subscribe and follow Locked On SEC for free wherever you get your podcasts. Get the latest episode of this one as soon as it comes out each and every day, five days a week. All right. Yesterday was the early signing day, or really the de facto national signing day. Uh, I want to mention a, a tidbit on each and every SEC team, so we'll need to move fast. Let's start at the top, and we'll head on down. Let's go around the conference. Boots out to the right. Makes the handoff. What a catch! Around the conference. We start with the number one recruiting class. Who else? The Alabama Crimson Tide. Their class now includes six five-star players, 14 four-star players, 13 of the top 89 ranked players in the class, including nine of the top 55 and three of the top eight. It's just another day at the office for Nick Saban. Hours after they flipped four-star defensive end Keanu Coat away from LSU, Tide did it again, flipping four-star wide receiver JoJo Earl, a native of Texas. Earl was the number 48 player in the nation. He flips from LSU to Bama. He was expected to wait until February, but now he joins the Tide. Alabama signing class is highlighted by offensive lineman J.C. Latham, Tommy Brockermeyer, and Terrence Ferguson. Defensive lineman Dallas Turner and Damon Payne, as well as cornerback Jaquincy McKinstry and wide receiver Ja'Cory Brooks. It is as loaded of a class as ever, and it's just what Alabama seems to do year in and year out. Coming in at number three, it was the Georgia Bulldogs and Kirby Smart. They find themselves at the top of this list year in and year out. Five-star All-American linebacker Xavier Sori announced his commitment to Georgia yesterday over Alabama and Florida. He is the number one outside linebacker and the number 20 overall prospect in this class. Likely going to be the next best linebacker to come out of Georgia. The Dogs did lock down the state of Georgia with the state's top three players, and the class was highlighted by offensive lineman Amarius Mims and Micah Morris, as well as quarterback Brock Vandegrift and another linebacker in Smile Mondon and Nyland Green. The Dogs did miss out on four-star running back Donovan Edwards, who committed to Michigan over Georgia and Notre Dame. And another loss for the Dogs, they lost Juco cornerback Dejon Warren, who committed to Deion Sanders over at Jackson State over Georgia. So, good day for Georgia, but they did miss out on a couple of people. LSU closing strong under Coach Ed Ogeron, despite their poor record. I always talk about you win a national championship, it pays off for you on the next recruiting cycle. That's what it's doing for LSU as they rank fourth in the nation in recruiting. Five-star defensive tackle and number one recruit in the state of Louisiana, Mason Smith, committed to LSU yesterday over Alabama, Georgia, and others. Smith is rated as the number 27 all-time recruit to sign with LSU, according to 27 Sports. He's the highest-rated defensive tackle since Al Woods signed with LSU back in 06. 
Four-star wide receiver Malik Neighbors flipped from Mississippi State to LSU yesterday. He said he made the decision in the 24 hours prior. He said it, it had been 50-50. He prayed the night before. He said, I told God to give me a sign, and he gave me a sign to sign with LSU. LSU also added four-star wide receiver Chris Hilton to go along with receivers Deion Smith, Jack Besh, and Malik Neighbors. So LSU losing a receiver to Alabama doesn't necessarily hurt them in this class. Also, four-star Florida defensive back Demarius McGee announced his commitment to LSU. He was a former Tennessee commit, rated as the number 14 cornerback in this class. Other big names for LSU included safety Sage Ryan, Derek Davis, as well as quarterback Garrett Nussmeyer and O-lineman Garrett Dellinger. They also added running back Armani Goodwin late Wednesday, who had previously been committed to Auburn. Florida Gators come in at number eight. They looked uh, look ready to sign their best recruiting class under Dan Mullen. Starts off with the number one cornerback in this class, Jason Marshall Jr., signed with the Gators. One person said he will not sit very long, if at all. Jason Marshall will probably slide right in as a starting corner for the Gators next season. Defensive end Tyreek Sapp is also a big get for the Gators, as well as Jeremiah Williams out of Birmingham. And perhaps my favorite name in this class, quarterback Carlos Del Rio Wilson. He's a pro-style quarterback. I'm just looking to see in the name Del Rio hyphen Wilson on a jersey next year. They also picked up the son of uh, former NFL quarterback Jay, uh, John Kitna, Jalen Kitna, signed with the Gators in this class. And they add two new tight ends, hoping to replace Kyle Pitts in Gage Wilcox and Nick Elk- Elkins. So uh, that's a good roundabout class for the Gators. They also had defensive end Justice Boone, a nice addition out of South Carolina. Texas A&M Aggies, they come in at number 14. We'll see if they climb any further as the class goes along, but Jimbo Fisher gets a big-time get in five-star D-lineman Shamar Turner out of the state of Texas. Should plug right in on their D-line immediately. Fisher also added O-lineman Ruben Fothery. Safety Kendall Daniels and Houston wide receiver Shadrick Banks. Yet another solid class for uh, Jimbo Fisher to build off the on the field success he had this year. Quarterback Eli Stowers could be the next guy under center behind Kellen Mond and Haynes King, who just came in this past year. One spot behind them, we got Tennessee coming in at number 15. The bad news first look, a lot of guys left the state of Tennessee. The Vols secured only one of the top 10 recruits in the state this cycle. It was four-star wide receiver Walker Merrill, who people are raving about. The Vols also picked up quarterback Kadon Salter, who could be the quarterback of the future. He's the sixth-ranked dual-threat quarterback in the country, and he picked the Vols over Auburn. Jeremy Pruitt also picked up defensive tackle Katron Evans and running back Cody Brown to go with another wide receiver in Julian Nixon. Big pickup and four-star running back Cody Brown mentioned out of the uh, state of Georgia. They also picked up one of the top Juco linebackers slash defensive ends of the country in Byron Young, who a lot thought was going to end up at Ole Miss, but he picks the Vols. Coming in number 18, Ole Miss. The good news for Ole Miss, they avoided any big flips. They got just about everybody that was supposed to come there. They picked up four-star defensive uh, defensive back, rather, Markevious Brown. He's the number 28 cornerback prospect in this class. And they also added another corner in three-star MJ Daniels. Their biggest recruits came in wide receiver Braylon Brown, quarterback Luke Altmeyer, and tight end Hudson Wolf. All dynamic weapons and all new toys for Lane Kiffin to play with there. You know he's going to get them on the field pretty quickly. 
On the defensive side, they added two safeties in Tysheem Johnson and Dink Jackson. Coming in at number 20, the Arkansas Razorbacks, a really solid recruiting class for head coach Sam Pittman. Really good recruiter, as we know. The class is highlighted by wide receiver Keetron Jackson, running back A.J. Green, not that A.J. Green, different guy, and a wide receiver in Raheem Sanders out of the state of Florida. Terry Wells and Cameron Ball on the O-line should provide a lot of help for the Razorbacks as well. Coming in at number 26, the Mizzou Tigers. Eli Drinkwitz had 22 commits on his first day of the early signing period on Wednesday. He and his staff convinced local wide receiver Dominic Lovett, a three-star teammate of Mizzou quarterback signee Tyler Macon, to decommit from Arizona State and stay home. Lovett's flip came before the early signing period. However, on signing day, they got Arden Walker, a six-foot-four, 248-pound defensive end out of Colorado. He was expected to possibly sign with UCLA. Instead, he flips, and he's heading to Mizzou. So, solid big addition to that defensive line for Mizzou. Also, defensive end Travian Ford, a big add as well. Mizzou's lone four-star signee. Mike Leach and Mississippi State come in at number 36. And with Mike Leach, starts with the quarterback. He's got a really good one in four-star QB Sawyer Robertson out of Lubbock, Texas. You pair him with some really good receivers in Theodore Knox, Antonio Harmon, and Jacoby Moore. And you know what to expect from Mississippi State the next couple of years. Robert, Robertson had offers from Florida State, USC, among others. Ultimately, he committed to Mike Leach. He's a kid who can make all the throws and will probably push Will Rogers next season at the quarterback spot. Two spots behind them, we get the Kentucky Wildcats coming in at number 38. Mark Stoops has typically had a higher recruiting class than this in recent years at Kentucky. But rumblings are they wanted to keep a couple spots open for transfers, not just now, but over the next couple of weeks heading into the offseason. One recruit in this class out of Bowling Green, tight end Jordan Dingle, or it is his brother Justice Dingle, the linebacker over at Georgia Tech, is going to be coming to the Wildcats as well. So there's one of the first transfers on his way. Those should be some really good off offensive weapons in this class uh, to help out offensive coordinator Liam, Liam Cohen. Uh, I was hoping to get started on the right foot. Other names in this class include offensive guard Jager Burton, wide receivers Dekel Crowdis, Christian Lewis, and Chauncey Magwood, along with defensive end Jamarius Dinkins. Auburn Tigers falling behind the pack a little bit this year, coming in at number 46. And it was, let's start off by saying this is probably going to be a lower than usual recruiting class. They already were low to begin with. And then they fired Gus Malzahn, but Kevin Steele doing his best to salvage this class. They salvaged their top recruit and four-star defensive tackle, Lee Hunter. He's a January enrollee, likely contribute immediately, so that was good news for the Tigers. But a really big get, and possibly their next quarterback in Demetrius Davis out of Houston. He is a dual threat and will compete immediately with Bo Nix. Some people even thinking he's better than Bo Nix right now. So Demetrius Davis, a name to watch next year as a freshman at Auburn. They also added safety Amari Harvey, defensive tackle Marquise Robinson, and wide receiver Hal Presley. Vanderbilt comes in at number 47 on this list, a pretty solid class for new head coach Clark Lee, who won't even officially be introduced at Vandy until next week, but it starts with four-star D-lineman Marcus Bradley out of Maryland, a big get for the Commodores. They also added wide receiver Quincy Skinner Jr., DB John House, and defensive tackles Devin Lee, and Terrian Sugik. Lee will have a lot of pieces to build around with a lot of young talent in Nashville next season. And lastly, South Carolina Gamecocks falling behind. They come in at 107 
in the 24-7 sports rankings. A new head coach, Shane Beamer, who's known to be a good recruiter, but he's going to have to hit the ground running next year because this class just going to be really tough to build around. They had a handful of three-star recruits, including quarterback Colton Gothier, running back Caleb McDowell, and wide receivers Omega Blake and Sam Reynolds. But Beamer going to have to try to get the best out of his guys who are already on campus, like running back Kevin Harris, quarterback Luke Doty. And there you have it. That is tidbits all around the conference on all 14 SEC teams. I know I didn't hit on everybody, but at least I gave you a little tidbit on each and every uh, school and what they did on National Signing Day. All right, coming up next, we're going to get the Florida perspective on the SEC championship game on Saturday with Locked On Gators host, Zach Goodall. That's next. Guys, it's almost the weekend. That means it is time to stock up on Coors Light. Your fridge should always be freshly stocked with some Coors Light, whether it's a neighbor coming over, a friend drops by, whatever. It's only the common courtesy thing to do to offer them an ice-cold Coors Light, and that's what you want to do. Look, watching football on Saturdays is therapeutic to us. It's our uninterrupted me time, and this Saturday is the last full Saturday slate of college football. That means we got to go out in a doozy. we got to do it enjoying some ice-cold Coors Light. It is mountain-cold refreshment. It is cold lagered, cold-filtered, and cold-packaged. It is as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies, perfect for any moment to unwind. Let's do it this Saturday, won't we? Coors Light is the one that I choose when I need to unwind. So when you guys want to hit that reset button, reach for the beer that is made to chill, and that is Coors Light. You can get them in their new-look cans delivered straight to your door at get.coorslight.com. And please remember to celebrate responsibly, Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Tomorrow on the show, Chris Stewart from the Alabama Radio Network will join us to talk about his experience stepping in for Eli Gold last weekend. And also, he'll preview the SEC championship game between Bama and Florida. That's tomorrow on Locked on SEC. Roll along here, locked on SEC, and tons to get into. Recapping a little bit of what happened with uh, the early National Signing Day, and of course, looking ahead to this weekend. And joining us now is our buddy Zach Goodall. You know him from uh, All Gators at Sports Illustrated, and also the host of Locked On Gators. And he joins us now. Zach, I know it's a very busy day for you. Appreciate you uh, taking some time, man. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, as I tweeted a little bit ago, the coffee is certainly hitting different this morning. <laughs> <laughs> I bet so. Uh, I guess real quick, because uh, for our listeners to know, we're in the middle of uh, the early National Signing Day. The Florida Gators have been getting a lot of kids in there. I'll just ask, how weird is it in the middle of preparing for an SEC championship game that uh, you're having to go through a signing period? Well, this is actually my second signing period um, covering Florida and college sports as a whole. I was formerly an NFL guy, so I'm still, you know, as we go, I'm learning things in and out about recruiting as it is. And then to be doing in this virtual world and in the week of the SEC championship, it's exactly as you'd expect times 10. I mean, (laughs) it's a mess, but it's why we love college football, right? Well, uh, let me ask you then this. What uh, Are you tired of the shoe jokes? Because I've seen about every shoe meme that could be out there. I've heard about every shoe joke. Look, it's it's absolutely crazy. That's how that game was, was really decided for Florida on Saturday night. But uh, my goodness, have you ever seen anything that ridiculous on the football field before? Without a doubt, there there's no way that I've seen something come as close to being as ridiculous as what Marco Wilson did um, to essentially seal the loss for Florida. Now, I will say, 
I personally think they lost that game well before then. It, it felt at halftime like there was a serious risk this game was not going to go their way. And we'd seen it throughout the year. We've not seen Florida play a game start to finish as a dominant team. Uh, we've not seen the offense, defense, and special teams come together and put together the type of performance that they would need to to defeat Alabama. Rather, we've seen the concerns that popped up on the field against LSU and spurts and moments for different units, and it all came together. It, it, that, I think that's kind of what lost them that game, and then Marco Wilson just decided to seal it, man. I'll tell you what, his arm looked great, at least. <laughs> it's, it's unbelievable, the photoshops that I've seen out there with Dan Mullen in shoes the past uh, 48, 72 hours, but... Um, it's crazy, Zach, because they lose that game, and now you got to get up for an Alabama team, which, according to the latest lines at uh, BetOnline.ag, they are a 17-point underdog to Alabama. Uh, We had Luke Robinson on yesterday from Locked On Bama. He said the scary part about this is Florida has nothing to lose right now. Like they, you know, they're not playing for a spot in the national championship. You are playing for an SEC championship, but. It feels like Dan Mulliken open up the playbook, let every trick play fly. If they want to go for it on fourth downs, fake punts, do whatever you got to do because what do you have to lose? Is that kind of the maybe the vibe you're getting with this team? Yeah, I think so. I think they're going to come out extra motivated. Um, I don't want to accuse them of looking past LSU to prepare for Alabama, but that's certainly what it feels like uh, what happened, and if that's the case. You know, they better come out and just pull every last trick that they can to try and do their best to match scores and do whatever it takes to stay in this game with Alabama. Because I agree. I don't think – I think Florida will end up covering this line, especially if it stays this drastic. But I, at the end of the day, from the issues we've seen with Florida compared to how Alabama's come on at the end of the year, I still – I kind of view Florida as a double-digit uh, underdog at this point as well. If Florida were to do the impossible and pull off the upset of Alabama, what do you think Kyle Trask's numbers would have to look like for him to win the Heisman Trophy at this point? Well, I think for them to win the game, he's going to need to be 40 of 40 or something along <laughs> the lines at this point. And that's that's something that Dan Mullins talked about. And he that defense definitely has big issues. I think everyone that watches can see it. Even a toddler could probably identify that the defense is pretty bad. But uh, Mullen and his team are on to bat for the defense. Uh, throughout the year, when we've asked him about the defense, he'll say, well, I think the offense needed to play better. I mean, he pinned the entire Tennessee loss. Uh, no, I, no, I'm sorry. He, he pinned the entire LSU loss being on the offense and the way that they came out in the first half and just weren't able to execute so in order to beat Alabama, you know, that perfect game that he's been asking of Kyle Trask in the offense throughout this year, it's what's going to need to happen on Saturday. And then you're right. I mean, I personally think that Trask is deserving at this point of the Heisman just based off of the production that he's had at quarterback for Florida, comparatively speaking to Matt Jones and any other quarterback that's in it. At the same time, you know, I'm a bit of a traditionalist. If someone wants to make an argument for Devontae Smith or for Kyle Pitts, I am more than willing to hear them out. Yeah, it, it will be interesting to see. I, I like I, everybody wants to talk about Trask versus Mac Jones. I want to see Kyle Pitts versus Devontae Smith. You know, which which one of the big time pass catchers can can go off this week? You mentioned uh, kind of Dan Mullen getting Todd Grantham's back throughout this season. I, I don't know if it's for lack of talent. I know they have a lot of highly recruited big time players on that defense. Uh, how hot should Todd Grantham's seat be this offseason? And would Mullen and company consider making a change? 
I mean, the way he talks about Todd, uh, I'm sure you saw the video with Kentucky where Mullen was giving Todd a piece of his mind on the sideline. Right. Uh, right after the game, he comes out and he says that they were arguing about Christmas lights uh, being up before Thanksgiving. <laughs> uh, that's just the way Dan Mullen's kind of treated this year. Uh, he's going to put the blame on something else other than placing it on other people, uh, something that he can control at least. It, with that being said, though, I mean, I see no way that Grantham's seat can't be hot at this point. But week 10, or the 10th game of the year, they're still struggling to line up in moments, and they're still struggling to cover basic slant routes. True freshman quarterbacks are completing nearly 64% of their passes on the year with four of them starting against Florida. I mean, it's the, it's the simple stuff. It's the fundamentals. You don't really understand why these extremely simple things aren't getting fixed. And if that's happening 10 games into the year, if it's still happening against Alabama in the most important game of the year, there's no way his seat can't be hot. Talking with Zach Goodall, of course, uh, host of Locked on Gators. Uh, Any thought on the two new additions to the SEC? Clark Lee going to be the new head coach at Vanderbilt, Shane Beamer at South Carolina. Any thought on either of those guys and maybe potential threat they could pose in the coming years in the SEC East? Well, I am very intrigued by the uh, by the hire with South Carolina, particularly just because of the ties to the program. Um, I know <laughs> you got a, the, the hire itself got a lot of flack at the time, but I'm curious to see what that type of devotion to a guy you truly believe in will look like for that program. Because we've seen South Carolina in particular go after scraps, that being Will Muschamp last time around, and it didn't really work out, but... I don't know. I, I, I love the idea of identifying your guy, even if he's not the most flashy hire. And I guess you could say Vanderbilt's done the same thing, although Clark Lee is certainly a flashier hire coming out of Notre Dame at that point. But I, I do like that type of story if it can pan out. And you'd figure with the hype Shane Beamer's got coming in with South Carolina, that there's a chance it could happen. Any, uh, as we look to... You know, obviously, round out this season, and you know, we'll see what bowl game the Gators go to. Obviously, the hope would be a really good one, uh, since the, the national championship not really in play. But any thought to what guys are are leaving versus who's coming back next year? What this Florida team could look like in twenty twenty one? I'd figure there's going to be a lot of shuffling um, <laughs> with the portal. I mean, especially in this day and age, and what's going on in the next couple of years based on the coronavirus pandemic and how rosters will be just a total mess, for lack of a better word. It's going to be really interesting to follow. But I have no doubt Florida, one way or another, will be active with that. I figure some guys will leave. I'm sure that they'll also be active in trying to add transfers. Uh, The most recent addition being Demarcus Bowman, the five-star running back from Clemson. But Mullen's been particularly active in the portal um, just over the past couple of years in general. So I figure they're going to be getting up with that it, it, throughout the season Florida's lost I think three players to the portal they were either walk-ons or just real true depth pieces no one really that important but as we get past the bowl games things start to settle down guys look into their future uh, I'm sure that'll happen and I'm sure a lot of these seniors uh, Kyle Trask particularly I, I don't think he would come back in fact he accepted an invite to the senior bowl so at that point I don't think he really could uh, as well as I would expect a guy like Kyle Pitts to go ahead and declare he's a top 10, top 15 pick tight end. You just you just can't pass that kind of stuff up. 
Yeah, I feel like I need to keep repeating this to people, but any player playing right now can come back next year because of the pandemic. Uh, forget the whole senior moniker and all that. Guys can come back, but no, you're right. I mean, when you talk about Kyle Pitts and Kyle Trask, a lot of these guys might feel, hey, mission accomplished. I did what I needed to do. It's time to take my game to the next level. And obviously, you can never blame a kid who wants to go to the NFL and is going to be a high draft pick. Absolutely. Uh, more power to him. Uh, last thing for you, Zach. If let's just say Alabama wins this game, um, who would get your Heisman vote? I've been stumping the last couple weeks for Devontae Smith. I think he is the best player in college football. A lot of the Vegas odds makers seem to think that it's going to be Mac Jones's award if Alabama wins this game. I just, in my mind, I think Devontae Smith deserves it more than Mac Jones. What, what would be your thinking? I'd say the same. I think that no matter what, unless Kyle Trask comes out and just blows it against Alabama, has another three turnover type of night, then I think once it's all said and done, if it's going to go to a quarterback, it should still be Trask's at that point, just from a pure production perspective. And I know that people point to him throwing so much per game, but at that point, I think it's because the team needs him to. And he's team, and I mean, defenses are still dropping seven or eight, and he's finding ways to be successful, even with some slow starts. Uh, so from a quarterback perspective, I think it's trash, but I, but I agree. I'm the same way. I, I really do appreciate the meaning of the award being the most outstanding player in college football, and especially since Jalen Waddle went out, uh, Devontae Smith's been that. It, Kyle Pitts should have an argument when he's on the field, but we've seen him miss a lot of time with injuries as well, and that would absolutely put a damper in his case to do it, in which case I'm with you. Uh, I'm, I'm on board for the chaos. Let's, let's get the Smith train rolling. <laughs> Kyle Trask, 40 touchdown passes on the year, 10 more than the next closest guy, and 13 more than Mac Jones. I just, in my mind, I can't look past that number. And by the way, Mac Jones has a run game, a dominant run game at that to assist him. Kyle Trask has no run game. So uh, just all things to consider as we head into this matchup this Saturday. Zach Goodall, thanks so much for the time, man. Uh, let our listeners know uh, where they can find your work. Absolutely. I appreciate you having me. And you guys can find me the easiest way to get any of my stuff is just to follow me on Twitter at Zach underscore Goodall. And that's Zach with an H. None of that K business in here. Zach, thanks so much, man. Yep. I really appreciate it. <laughs> For sure. Thank you. All right. Zach Goodall there of uh, Locked On Gators. And of course, covering the Gators for uh, Sports Illustrator. Really appreciate him uh, coming on with us and previewing the uh, SEC championship game. You heard him say it there. He sounds like he thinks. That line might be a little bit too high, 17. He says he thinks the Gators can cover that line, but uh, probably the Gators losing still by double digits. So, you know, whether it's by 10, whether it's by 12, whatever. I don't know. I've not made my official prediction yet. I'm going to keep uh, looking or breaking down the numbers and uh, before I make an official decision on a score prediction for this Saturday. But uh, more to come here on Locked on SEC. We're along here, locked on SEC. Hey, look, betting on the SEC does not have to be a guessing game if you listen to the new Locked On Bets podcast. It's hosted by your boy Q and handicapping expert Lee Sterling. Get daily picks and quick-hitting advice to make the smartest possible wagers. Subscribe now to Locked On Bets, podcast brought to you by betonline.ag, wherever you get your podcast. 
All right, it's always fun once a week, just about. We try to catch up with our buddy Lynn Scarborough of Lindy Sports, and he joins us now. Lynn, how are you, man? Good to have you again. And crazy, we've got some games being played this weekend, even after the conference championships. But uh, here we are. Hey, Chris, doing well. It's uh, yeah, things are things are very interesting. When when would you ever be having regular season games being played after all the championship games? <laughs> I think it's a nutty idea that you let people be playing on into Christmas week to qualify for bowls. That you know, if, if that's the case, they're not gonna have a four or five days to practice for the bowl. Well, that's the thing, Lynn. With all these teams that are opting, I mean, LSU was going to be a bowl eligible team that's opting out. I mean, it, the word bowl eligible doesn't even mean anything anymore because you're going to have two win teams going bowling this year. So it, it it just basically becomes who wants to play in a bowl game. Let us know. That, that's um, about no. That's about the size of it. That's it. That is much. about the size of it because you're going to have you're going to have uh, Chris the teams teams that win. Six games or more uh, going against all uh, 100% conference opponents uh, probably have had a pretty good year, and uh, because you know normally that make you say six and four, and normally if if you're good enough to have done that in your conference, you probably would have won your two non-conference games. So that's a, basically an eight and four team, and you have eight and four teams that will play in in New Year's Day bowl games some years. Yeah. So. But 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 you get into the teams that won won three games or four games, then you're not even sure they would have won half their games. And in order to um, you know because because of teams that have, have opted out and, and and are not able to to play because you know the the uh, Pac-12 championship game for example, uh, you know it's supposed to be Washington. Well, Washington has to uh, you can't play, and so you got to have somebody to have a game. So they bring in the number two guy, bring in Oregon. You know, if you, so if you did the same thing here, you'd have. Uh, uh, Texas A&M playing Georgia uh, for the for the championship game. If you had the Florida and Alabama have to you know opt out for some reason, it's just a strange, you know, it's a strange year that I think everybody's glad to get over with. Well, Linda, the uh, the last uh, college football rank playoff rankings came out ahead of obviously championship weekend this weekend, and then Sunday or. Uh, you know, the, right after the games, they'll they'll come out with the four teams that are going into the playoff. But what did you make of? It, it feels like Lynn, there are a lot of people making excuses for Ohio State, and it goes back to my argument all uh, with all these rankings is always: Are we looking for the four best teams, or are we looking for the mo- four most deserved deserved teams? In other words, hmm. we don't even have to look at resumes to know Ohio State looks like one of the best four teams in the country, but. Should that be it? Shouldn't resume matter? Shouldn't games played actually matter? What did you make of the playoff rankings? I don't. I don't. Well, uh, the playoff rankings. I mean, I, if the way they're doing it, I guess I'm okay with it. I don't like the fact that Ohio State's playing in that championship game. Uh, I think when rules are yeah. set, uh, and I, you know, and we've had this conversation before on a number of things, whether it's a business or an, or or a political campaign or a sporting season, when the rules are set. And everybody knows the rules. You don't change the rules in the middle of the game in order to favor one contestant. In this case, it being sports, that's the contestant of Ohio State. They had in their mind, they meaning the Big Ten, they had in their mind at the start of the year, yeah, and we, we had Ohio State pick to win it. I mean, so that's, I'm not trying to be a hypocrite about the thing. Lindy's had them, had them pick to win it. Uh, and they may end up you know, being the best team. But if your league makes a decision, that it's going to start a month after the other uh, leagues on its level, and they leave no room for any error, uh, no room for any flexibility, like the SEC and the Big 12 and the ACC did, do we reward uh, a league for making bad decisions 
and and penalize those. Uh, I don't I don't think there's any question. I think A and M deserves it more than more than Ohio State. I think, quite frankly, I would think Cincinnati would probably deserve it more than more than them. Um, and there might be a couple of others that I that I think would. You know, may, maybe. Hey, why why is a, a five win Ohio State? Uh, why is that better than a five win Southern Cal? Over his over history, Southern Cal and Ohio State have both been among the you know probably top ten teams in the country traditionally. Yeah. Well, they've you know why is it that the Big Ten? It plays half of its games, has an undefeated team here, and they're the, the special child. And the Pac-12 has got an undefeated team out there with the same number of games, and they're not. It's yeah. just it's it's hypocritical to me, Chris, and I, it's it's not consistent. I don't really think it, I don't think it's right. Lynn, did the committee miss an opportunity to expand the playoffs this year to, to eight teams? The thing is, it's not the committee. I don't think the, the that that committee that does the college football playoff has has that authority. Uh, no, I think I think this season. Of course, I've been a huge advocate for an 18 playoff. I've written columns about it. We've done radio shows about it, and it's. I'm not a Johnny Come Lately to this. I've been that way, quite frankly, since they started the 14 playoff. It is inherently flawed when you've got five Power Five conferences, and every one of them thinks their their conference champion deserves to have a chance to win the championship, which I think they're correct. And you don't have a four seats in the chair, uh, four seats before they can sit down. I did a column one time on college football's game of musical chairs. I don't know if they still play that game, but when I was little at birthday parties, if you had eight people, you put seven chairs out there and you ran around until somebody, you know, in, uh, there's no, somebody every time had to be sitting in the floor because there's not, there's, it wasn't, there weren't eight chairs. Well, there's, there's not, there's not uh, five chairs there and somebody feels cheated every year. And, and if Notre Dame's ever in it, two people are going to feel cheated every year. And in a year like this, when it's unequal and everybody doesn't have to have the same number of opportunities to lose, there's sure people that are going to feel cheated. If you had an 18 playoff, it would answer your question. Now, there's going to be a if, if you have an 18 playoff, there's going to be a ninth team that feels like they should have gotten in. Yeah. But we have an NCAA basketball tournament where 68 teams get to play. There's always some people that that feel like they got left out. So, so if you have four, there's going to be five. If you have 68, there's going to be 69. But, uh, but an expanded 18 playoff would take care of a lot of the problems that we're having right now. So, Lynn, for the Aggies in our audience, what should they be rooting for this weekend? I assume you want Notre Dame to beat Clemson, so that gives Clemson their yep. second loss. You want Florida, right. Florida to upset Alabama. In that crazy scenario, it would feel like Alabama gets in, Florida doesn't as a two-loss SEC champ. Maybe A&M has a, ch- a chance to sneak in there. Oh, I, I think it's I, – I view it as pretty simple. If Notre Dame's beat Clemson, Texas A&M will be in. Wow. I mean, I understand. I understand Cincinnati can make a case uh, that they that they should be there. Uh, I don't know if they if they'd beat a uh, uh, A&M or Ohio State or whatever head to head or not. And there'll be a couple of other teams that would as well. But if I'm if I'm an A&M fan, my prim, my primary thing is go Irish. And I know in the <laughs> South, a lot of people don't don't like Notre Dame. But this is one time when the people in the South that are pulling for the SEC and for uh, and for Texas A&M, uh, ought, to, ought to be pulling for Notre Dame. If that's the case, A&M ought to go up to uh, ought to go up to four, which will put two SEC teams in the uh, in the, uh, the final four, and then is most likely going to put Georgia and and Florida uh, in the uh, in that next group that's in the college football playoff. Mm-hmm. Which means Auburn and Auburn and Missouri. Uh, if Missouri Missouri plays this weekend, don't they? The only game that was canceled was. Uh... 
Georgia, uh, Georgia Vandy so far. Georgia, Georgia, Georgia Vanderbilt. Okay, so Missouri play. So if Missouri wins, they'd have six wins. Yeah, Auburn's already got six wins, and so that's going to be good enough to get you in the Citrus Bowl and the Outback Bowl. And 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 in fairness, it probably should because if they had played their two quote you know easy games, which all, uh, they're not easy and they lose sometimes, but uh, it, and Auburn at eight and four and Missouri at eight and four, if it were to go that way, would would be ranked and would be uh, would be uh, there wouldn't be any question about whether or not they should go to the Citrus and the and the Outback. So that would get you six SEC teams going to high-level bowls, which I think all of those teams probably deserve that. The question then gets to those other those other bowls that have affiliations with the SEC, of which the Birmingham Bowl, and I'm a committee chairman for the bowl. Um, you know what what would we do? And and you're right, you're going to be going down far enough in the pecking order with these bowls that you're going to be having teams that didn't win but three or four games uh, have an opportunity to play in a bowl if that allowance is made this year to, to let that happen. And it, it may be, I, I hope, you know, it, you just you, this has been a year, Chris, when revenues have really been hurt because of this virus, both in athletic programs and in communities. I know how much money we bring in to Birmingham, to the community, to the charities, uh, to the, to the, uh, the community with the hotels and restaurants and that kind of thing. And uh, if you don't have these bowls, even, even a reduced bowl, we're not going to have as many people seated at our bowl, the, the bowls that are in the Houston area. Y'all won't have as many people seated there, which means you won't sell as many tickets and you won't have as many people staying in hotel rooms, but at least it would be something. And if, we, if these bowls have to get canceled and there's no TV revenue for them, and it's there are cities and college towns and athletic programs that are really hurting because of what this has done to the economies. And I just I just hope that it's not uh, impacted even more because of the way this this bowl situation might uh, evolve. He is Lynn Scarborough, LindySports.com. Lynn, always good to catch up, man. And uh, next week, be able to talk with you about the teams that are in the playoff. Uh, thanks as always, man. Yep. I, I, Absolutely. I guess next week probably will will end the season uh, as far as we go. So look forward to wrapping up the season and uh, and uh, giving a wish right before the Christmas uh, right before the Christmas weekend. Sounds good, Len. We'll talk to you soon, man. Okay, guys. Talk to y'all soon. All right, that is just about going to do it for this edition of Locked On SEC. Remember to subscribe if you haven't done so yet. Get us five days a week, and you don't want to miss tomorrow's episode. Chris Stewart going to join us. From the Alabama Radio Network, he'll preview the SEC Championship game with us and much, much more. Also, we'll run through each and every game happening in the SEC this weekend, give you our expert matchup breakdowns and predictions. That's tomorrow on Locked on SEC. Everybody have a great day. <laughs>